Welcome to Pale Blue Pod, the astronomy podcast for people who are overwhelmed by the universe but still want to be its friend. Yeah, just because something's scary doesn't mean we can't be friends. <laughs> and I don't yes. know if that rule applies to many more things, but to this again. <laughs> if we've learned anything from Frankenstein, it's that the, the scary yes. and the monstrous can still be our friend. Yeah, all he needed was a little love, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um well, I'm Karin Capito. I'm a writer and a funny person and a friend to Frankenstein and to the universe. Yay. Hi, I'm Dr. Moya McTeer. I'm an astrophysicist and a folklorist, a friend to the universe and to Frankenstein's monster. Exactly. I'm friends with the doctor. Not the doctor, though. <laughs> yeah. The doctor and I do not get along. I know. He's up to something. <laughs> so shady. Uh, we, we are nowhere near... Uh, I don't even know where Frankenstein's lab was supposed to be. Probably some like weird island somewhere, oh, if I yeah. understand my my mad scientist tropes well. But we we are not there. Um, we are recording today in a beautiful, yeah. albeit slightly damp, <laughs> underground cave, <laughs> uh, and there are crystals all around us. But we did have to bring our own light to see the crystals. Yes. Um, there's a, a little pool of water in the back. Uh, you can hear the the drip drip uh, of stuff that might one day be a stalactite, but is now not yet. Now it's just one of those classic drips. <laughs> it's just a drip. It's just a drip. Um, but but I, I like it here. And I, I wanted to record this episode in an underground cave because we are going to be talking about astronauts and, and the way that they train. And I just, I don't want them to be able to hear our conversation. Oh, I love so, that. We so should I, have done this I on like signal or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being we so secretive. That's so funny. They can listen to it when it comes out, but they can't. No notes beforehand. <laughs> no notes. <laughs> I don't, they don't get a sneak peek. They aren't patrons. Um, <laughs> Our patrons also don't get early access because I need to work on these episodes up until like the <laughs> day before they go out. Um, but yeah, that's what we're talking about. That's where we are. Corinne, what do you think of the space? I love it here. And I love when I get to wear a headlamp. Yeah. There aren't enough opportunities for headlamps no, these days. No, I really only wear them walking to the campsite bathroom and back in the summers. Mm-hmm. So this is, mm-hmm. it's nice to get it out for one more use a year. <laughs> Good. Um, Corinne, this was your idea for an episode topic. Uh, yeah. Because you, you hosted a show mm-hmm. about this topic. I um, did. I hosted a show called Astronaut Training, and it was a funny look at a series of exercises and things that astronauts need to do before they can become certified astronauts. Um, yeah. But my show was quite silly and barely grounded in anything on earth so it's good that we're finally talking about what really goes into an astronaut's training yeah um how much did you know your show deviated from from reality when you were making it i um, like were you actively trying to make it as unlike the training you know i wasn't trying to make it unlike anything but i wasn't trying to make it like anything i think Mm -hmm. i was like well what would be a fun intro like we'll do this in this episode but there's like general knowledge astronauts should have there's some kind of you know they need to exercise there's things that my show loosely uh took for game inspiration um (laughs) But also we totally made stuff up. Like we gave them PR lessons in my show. And that is that's almost certainly not something the astronauts have to score 100 on before they can go to space. 
Well, not a hundred, but no, we talked about it in our episode with Lauren Grush and her book, The Six, that they had to do some media training or media exposure. And they got some really bad questions, but we had my astronauts, my fake astronauts, uh, apologize um, as we Mm -hmm. talked about. So (laughs) I hope the astronauts today don't have to like learn how to do a notes app style Instagram apology. You're so right. I hope they don't. But if they do, there are plenty of examples mm-hmm. to to look to because um, there have been a lot of celebrities who needed to apologize I know. lately. I'm surprised we haven't gotten better at this. Like, certainly we've seen enough bad apologies to know what makes a good one. And they're always doing it. I, I saw a post. It's like every celebrity has to have a, a sad-looking blank room in their yes. mega mansion so that we yes. don't feel uh, – so that we feel a little bit worse for them. Mm-hmm. So I hope they don't train the astronauts to do that. I didn't come across anything like that <laughs> in my research for the episode, so I think we're good. Uh, but I figured I would start with some statistics, some yes. numbies about uh, astronauts past and present. So since 1961, when the first human went into space, 643 people have been to space. That, Is that? Um, it feels, I think it feels high to me. I think that I think of it as way less than that. Yeah, I was wondering how how you would react to that number. I don't know what number Um, I would have guessed, but it just sounds like a lot of people. I think I would have guessed like closer to one or 200. Mm -hmm. It does Mm -hmm. sound like a lot of people, but then you have to remember that it's it's not all the people making the big flashy like first steps or or anything. Like we don't hear about most of the astronauts that go go to space in the news. Uh, So that's 643 people going to space as defined by the World Air Sports Federation. Um, There is no globally accepted definition of where space starts. So according Mm. to this federation, which is French, so their initials are FAI, they define space as starting at 100 kilometers above the surface of the Earth. But the Air Force defines it as 80 kilometers above the Earth. So if you look at the numbers that the like U.S. Air Force sites versus what the rest of the world sites for people who have gone to space, America would say more people have gone to space because they have a lower threshold. Mm-hmm. But let's stick with that 100-kilometer one. That's what most people in the world would agree to. And those 643 people represent a little bit more than 40 countries around the world. Uh, but the U.S. is responsible for about 60% of them. So like 350-something mm-hmm. uh, of the astronauts have been American. of those astronauts have done all of their space time in Earth's orbit, so uh, like between here and the ISS. Very few astronauts, about 4%, have gone like beyond Earth's orbit to the moon. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much that's pretty much it. The place to go. Uh, That's the place to go. Yeah. (laughs) Um, The ISS, by the way, it's going to come up a lot. Uh, We don't have an episode yet on on the ISS. Maybe that's coming in the future, but it was launched in 1998, which I think is later than I expected, but I don't know why. For me, I think I knew that because of we had so many ISS like specific lessons at the Space Center. So that was like Mm. my niche of of what I knew, especially about the space shuttle, which brought a lot of those pieces Mm -hmm. to build the ISS. It's funny to think that I was like not I was alive and like completely unaware of the fact of this like very cool thing was happening. <laughs> right. Right, right, right. Cuz we we were uh, we children. Um but do you know the last time that 
the ISS was unoccupied? Ooh, I don't think I do. The International Space Station has been continuously occupied with at least two people there uh, every single day since Halloween of the year 2000. Whoa. 23 yeah. years. Mm-hmm. And it uh, it usually has like seven people. So Earth it. has always been missing two of us, at least. <laughs> for, for, the last, for the last 23 years, yes. <laughs> You're right. At least. At least two of us. Uh, you can go to a very helpfully named website, howmanypeopleareinspaceRightNow.com, to oh, learn how many people are in space right now. <laughs> That's good SEO. And, yes, right? Um, you, you Google how many people are in space right now, and it, it just pops up. Uh, right now, as of this recording, on November 13th, there are 10 people in space. Wow. That's a lot. Are they on the ISS? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. There might be some other, like, I don't know, shuttle that people are on, like a, like a Russian sh- shuttle or something. I don't know. Uh, but there are 10 people in space right now. I did not look to see where all 10 of those are, although I assume seven of them at least are on the ISS. Mm-hmm. Most of the NASA astronauts, I didn't look at statistics worldwide, but most of the NASA astronauts have the uh, identities that you would expect them to have. Mm-hmm. Um, overwhelming majority of them have been white men, many of them with military backgrounds, and uh, the average age to be picked for an astronaut is 34. So most of them are in their 30s, but there have been active astronauts anywhere from 26 to 47. The 21st class of NASA astronauts, which was selected in 2013, had eight people, half men, half women. Uh, So that was the first year they achieved gender parity, although it's binary gender parity. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the 22nd class, which was picked in 2017, had seven men, five women, no gender nonconforming folks. Uh, And in that class of 12, five of them were people of color. I think in the class before it, there was only one person of color. So, like, NASA is not doing well on Mm -hmm. these statistics, uh, but they're improving, and you can see that uh, happening over time. Right now, NASA has 38 active astronauts. These are people who are eligible to go flying uh, into space at any moment. There are like 10 management astronauts, which means they aren't eligible to fly into space most of them because they're too old, Mm. Um, but they have all the knowledge and skills. So they can do like command stuff. They can do all of the astronaut work that is not up in space because most of the astronaut work is, is here on earth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So those those are, those are some quick statistics on, on the number of astronauts. I, uh, I love going to how many people are in space right now.com. It's, it seems like a, I'm going to go right now. Good grounding exercise. If I can get service in the cave. <laughs> see, see if it has changed in the last five hours since I, since I checked. <laughs> Somebody came down. It's, you got a big number 10 on there. <laughs> yeah, they really, there's no ambiguity. They don't make you search for it. Some of these people have been in space. The longest one is 970 days. Yeah, I guess I, I could have gone into statistics like that. Um, the one that I remember seeing of how many total all human space hours have been logged. It's um, it's something like, if you add it up, it's over like a hundred years. Wow. Yeah, there are people who have spent, you know, like th- there are individual people who have spent like three years in space. Yeah, this that 970 days is so long. 
Um, most of it's not continuous. Okay, good. Because it seems like often, be, this is misleading then, because it doesn't, it seems like this is a continuous counter. They do, yeah, they they um, are doing a cumulative okay. logging. Okay, that and, makes me feel a lot better, because I'm like, what are, what are they going to do when they come back? How are they going <laughs> to, like, your body's going <laughs> to feel gravity in that way okay. again? Yeah, I may, let's, let's check. What's the longest... Oh, the record for most consecutive time in space by any individual is held by the late Russian cosmonaut Valery Poly- Polyakov. He spent 437 days in space Whoa. between January of 1994 and March of 1995. Impressive. That's a long time. Yeah. Uh, but most of most of these are not consecutive days. Uh, these astronauts go on multiple tours. Um, sure. They have like multiple stints up in up in space. I want to talk uh, before the training about how the astronauts are selected, and a lot of this information is detailed and described really well in Lauren Grush's book, The Six. Uh, so you can read that for more details and like more um, individual stories about the actual people who were involved. This is all like overview information. But NASA puts out calls for astronauts. Uh, roughly every four years, uh, every four or five years. The last call went out in 2020 for the 23rd class, which was announced in 2021. So you can expect next year, uh, NASA is probably going to to put out another call for applications. The last class of astronauts uh, was nicknamed the Flies. They all have nicknames. And I, I would love to know like who gets to choose it, but um, yeah, they all have nicknames, and, and last year's was the Flies. They have different routes for applying to be an astronaut based on whether, or like there are three different paths. There's the civilian path, there's the active military personnel path, and there uh, is a path for people with a lot of flight experience, uh, like uh, command flight experience. You can't just say, like, I've flown a lot, like, I have a lot of air miles. You have to be actually piloting the plane mm-hmm, sure, for it you to, have to be behind the wheel. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, so there are a lot of requirements. They are pretty strict, and the requirements have changed over time. At first, you had to be um, in the military because they wanted, they wanted pilots um, from the Air Force because NASA was founded through an aviation agency. Um, they opened it up to civilians and scientists in 1965, and that's when a, a couple of the people who are covered in the six, that's why they were able mm-hmm. to be astronauts, because they didn't come from the military, but they were scientists, so they could be what was called a mission specialist, uh, where you're in charge of a research mission up in space. Uh, but to be a NASA astronaut, there's this whole application process. You submit it online in whatever portal matches your civilian versus military status. You have to be a U.S. citizen. Um, you have to have a master's degree. Yeah, I knew that. Mm-hmm. But they, I, it used to be a bachelor's. Oh, but they but updated. they updated. It. It. Oh, okay. Yeah, when yeah. I first looked, it it was master's. It didn't have to be a science degree. Is that right? Like there was a comparable thing that you could have? Okay, yeah. So you have to have a master's degree in a STEM field. Um, and then they had a, a list of the eligible fields and the non-eligible fields. So it's STEM, but not nursing, not psychology, mm-hmm. not like nutrition sciences. They, sure. ha- they have this list of, of things that are still STEM, but aren't eligible for astronaut consideration. So you need to have a master's degree and... A minimum of two years of relevant professional experience. 
Okay. The master's degree can be uh, swapped out for more years of professional experience. Okay. Uh, or, you know, a PhD. You can also have a PhD. <laughs> um, so you have to have a master's degree and professional experience or more than a thousand hours of command pilot time, specifically in jet aircraft. Okay. Okay. So you really got to be that pilot. <laughs> yeah. You, you have to be very accomplished to mm -hmm. even apply to be a, a NASA astronaut. I guess I, I don't know enough about what they do, what astronauts do, I'm realizing, but like if you are the pilot, let's say the, you know, the pilot in the group with two scientists, what once you get them there, what are you up to for those 400 days? Oh, we'll talk about it. <laughs> okay, we'll talk good, about good. it. Yeah, that's at the So in this episode, we did we're going to we did some statistics. I'm going to talk about the selection, then their training and then what they do once okay, they get there. Okay, cool. Mhm. Mm um they will also take teachers. So any type of teaching experience, even at the K through 12 level, is considered qualifying professional experience. Uh, so educators are encouraged to apply, which I love, and teachers have been selected for this. You also have to pass the long duration astronaut physical, which is pretty involved. There's uh, a physical and a fitness test and a psychological evaluation. Uh, you have to have good or correctable 2020 vision so you can wear your glasses or you can get LASIK. I think they changed that rule in the last uh, couple of decades where you used to not be able to have surgery to get your eyes corrected for this to count. But now you can. Um, there are, and I quote, anthropometric requirements, huh. um, which I think is just like height and weight stuff. I think max or like around 180 pounds is the max. Um, you have to be under 5'11 and over like 5'4 or something because oh. of, of the seat sizes and the, yeah. and the suit sizes. I was going to say that must be so that they can kind of standardize the other things. Yeah. Um, there there are blood pressure requirements, so like all of, all of that physical stuff. And then there's a fitness test. And I couldn't find details on, on what's involved with that. I saw videos of people running on a treadmill. It seems like the test is annoying, but not impossible. Mm -hmm. um, the way they, they phrase it is that like a healthy adult in their 30s, roughly, should be able to pass this test who's like in, in good physical shape. Mm-hmm but I couldn't find any specifics. It is getting harder and more competitive to become a NASA astronaut because so many people are applying. Uh, in the last round, more than 12,000 people applied. Wow. Um, which is actually down from the 2016 application round where more than 18,000 people applied. Whoa. Mm -hmm. um, so thousands of people apply. Many of them don't even meet the requirements, so they just get eliminated right away. Um, as a woman, as a person of color, I have heard over and over again, like, if you meet all of the requirements for the job, then you're too qualified for that job, like for job postings on uh -huh. LinkedIn or Indeed or something. Yeah. So we're told to apply even if we don't meet all the requirements. NASA astronaut applications are not the same thing. Yeah, you're going to need to meet <laughs> these requirements. You're going to need to meet the requirements. The fact that they like they had the requirement as a bachelor's degree, but then they, they were saying that master's degrees were preferred and everyone who got selected had at least a master's degree anyway. Um, like The standards are really high and they are not going to take anyone who doesn't meet these requirements. So they throw out 
um, in every application cycle, about 20% of the applications because they just don't meet it. Wow. Um, they have a panel of people, many of whom are former astronauts themselves, do background checks and interviews. They end up whittling those thousands of applications down to about 10 every cycle. Uh, and those 10 people are astronaut candidates. Mm -hmm. They are not astronauts yet. Yeah. <laughs> so they get selected after that whole process for uh, candidacy. And then they start two years of training. Yeah, that I didn't know it was two years. And somehow that felt short to me. I think because we hear <laughs> about like PhDs taking like, you know, a yeah. decade or something. And there are just so many other also prestigious things that take a long time. So mm -hmm. two years is like, wow, how easy breezy. Like, let's go. <laughs> easy breezy. But that's because they're only taking people who have already, already done completed. those other sure. hard things that take a long time. Yeah. There's an astronaut, Anne McLean, who wrote out this, this post with advice for people who are applying to be astronauts. And she says that the selection committee is looking for people who are adaptable, trustworthy, tenacious and detail-oriented. And if you can prove that in your application and you like, meet all the requirements and essentially you're like an amazing human being who is unmatched by, by other <laughs> normal mortals, then you can be a NASA astronaut. That's such an easy ask to like also convey yeah. the nuance of your personality in this cover <laughs> letter. I mean, that mm -hmm. I've been, I had been applying to jobs in my life for so long that like there, it's always the m most impossible task for me of like how do I mm -hmm. show somebody who I am in this in this like kind of first person thing? Yeah, and the selection committee for for astronauts, it's not like other job applicant selection committees, right? Because mm -hmm. you you don't just have to choose people who are going to be co-workers. You have to choose people who are going to live with each other in isolation for months at a time yeah. on the ISS. Yeah. So you need to make sure that they would work in in that way as a group and not just make sure you have skilled people. Because with, right. with an application pool that big, you're going to get skilled people. The tr tricky part, I'm sure, is finding the group of skilled enough people who will get along yeah. in an emergency. I would love to see some kind of fictional, hopefully fictional story of like whoever casts the like dating shows, like needing to cast this. It's like, which of this group of a thousand applicants will get along the best? Oh my God. Give me Love Island, but it's all but it's astronaut applicants. <laughs> it's Corinne. like, which ISS is, is doing this the best? <laughs> okay. Okay. The strikes are over. We can, we're, we can we're claiming this. this. this we're, is, we can go make this dibs, now. Dibs. This is what stars on Mars should have been. <laughs> yes. Oh, great. Um, quick aside. Have you been watching Love Island games? No, I haven't. I'm so behind on all, oh, all the TV I need to be on. Okay, well, I'm not going to make you feel bad about it, but you, you <laughs> do need you do need to watch it. The okay. people they are bringing back for this. I'm putting it on my list this. right now. Mm, it's so good. It's so good. Um, none of them would make it through that astronaut selection <laughs> process. Wait, I saw a clip recently. I don't think it was from games, but it was a girl named Liberty describing that her name means freedom. Was that, was yes, that from oh, games? Yes, it, it was from games. Ah! Okay, that clip was so insane and so funny. <laughs> it's it's a, a an English woman and a Welsh guy talking about how her name Liberty means freedom, and then she says, you know, like the Statue of Liberty, and he was like, really? So that 
so that means the Statue of Freedom. Like he thought yeah. that it it was like a different language that she was trying. It completely to blew his English. mind. He was like short circuiting, <laughs> and I couldn't understand like what about this exactly is not making sense. Oh yeah, and it's full of great moments like that, Corinne. Uh. Yeah. Hello, it's Dr. Moya, and I have a couple quick messages for you while Corinne is off investigating a very shiny rock. I hope she brings it back, because I, too, want to investigate it up close and personal. But while she's gone, now is a great time to thank our patrons who support the show every single month. Thank you all. We could not afford to make this show without your help. Uh, But a big special thank you to our Sunlike stars, as always, Sharn Llewellyn, Lissa, and Ian O'Leary. You are golden. You are putting out the perfect amount of radiation. You are our sons, and we love you and appreciate you. You, too, can support us. You can hear your name on the show. You can even make it to our patron star chart, all by supporting us on Patreon for just about $1 per episode. And if you sign up for an annual membership, which we just started offering, you get a 13% discount across the entire year. So you pay more up front, but less after a year. Uh, That is 1% for every sign in the Zodiac. And you can save money while helping us be stable in our financial situation. You can find the star chart, our Patreon info, and more at our website, palebluepod.com. Or if you already know you want to support us financially, fantastic. Head to patreon.com slash palebluepod. And if you can't support us financially, that is totally fine. You're still space. We love you. So does the universe. And there are other ways that you can support the show. You can rate and review us on whatever podcast app you choose. I love looking at the reviews when they come in. They absolutely make my day. And another great way to support us is to just share a link to a specific episode of the show with someone you love. Word of mouth recommendation is such an effective way to help a podcast grow because your friends and your loved ones trust your opinion. So if you send them a link to a specific episode and you're like, hey, I think you'll really enjoy this, they're going to listen to it. And if they have good taste, then they'll fall in love with us. That's what we want. We want more people listening to Pale Blue Pod. So if you can help us do that, thank you so much. We will love and appreciate you forever. Before we get back to this show, I want to recommend another one. Uh, It's a podcast in the Multitude Collective, which, if you aren't familiar, is a collective of independent podcasts. Everyone there is so nice and smart and funny, and all of the shows are fantastic, like Games and Feelings. Games and Feelings is an advice podcast appropriately about games. You can join question keeper Eric Silver and a revolving cast of guests as they answer your question at the intersection of fun and humanity. And humanity is important because you play games with other people. And we're talking all types of games here. They do stuff about video games, tabletop games, party games, laser tag, escape rooms, game streams, D&D podcasts. The list goes on and on. They're going to talk about any type of game and any type of person who makes those games. They also have Jasper Cartwright, who's an actor, a D&D player, and a host of Three Black Halflings as a permanent guest. So you can join Eric, Jasper, and various multitude folks as they recommend games, answer advice questions about gaming, and uh, play whatever cute games Eric comes up with. He has such a creative brain in his in his little skull. Uh, and this weekly schedule for Games and Feelings brings back the hit 2020 show, What's Your Favorite Pokemon? And Then I Say Something Nice About You, uh, where Eric interviews people 
people and then tells them what their favorite Pokemon should be and then says something nice about them. And Eric did this for me. Uh, He decided that my favorite Pokemon should be Cosmog. And it's just this adorable little ball of cosmic gas with cute little space buns. And I love it so much. Eric was right. That is my favorite Pokemon now. And he said such nice things about me. It's really great. So if you like what you're hearing about this Games and Feelings show and you want to level up your emotional intelligence stat, subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts to Games and Feelings. New episodes are up every single Friday. All right, Corinne is bringing that rock back. I'm going to take a little break to look at all the shiny, and then we're going to get back to this episode. Um, Back to astronauts training. So it's two years, and... After two years, they should have the knowledge and the skills necessary to live and work in space in case of any emergency. So it's really rigorous training for two years because they're trying to prepare these people for any imaginable thing that could go wrong while they're up in space. Yeah. Um, they get military-grade land and water survival training. So they, like, get taken to the desert, and they have to learn to survive like a marine would. And they get taken to um, water lands, and they have to learn to survive that. They have to get scuba certified. I saw so many videos of people in, like, space suits oh, in the down tanks? underwater in the tanks. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. they also have to learn how to uh, wear these big, heavy bulky spacesuits mm-hmm. and and maneuver and through still be like nimble tough environments. Yeah. Yeah. And like use tools to fix things. Mm-hmm. Um, I know. I'm like the way I would fail these tests so quickly. <laughs> like so so fucking fast. They have a swim test. I would fail I would fail that immediately. They have to uh tread water for 10 minutes. They have to do um like 10 laps, but strength. I think it's untimed. They take classes on all of the shuttle systems in basic science and technology. So um, geology, meteorology, oceanography, astronomy, physics, mathematics, they take classes in all of that. They take classes in guidance and navigation systems, both uh, like digital with the, the jets and planes and stuff that they're flying, but they also have to learn other navigation strategies in case their systems and technology break down. Uh, they have to take classes on the materials that are used to make the, the space shuttles and all of the things they're flying in. They have to learn how to use and fix every single thing they use from like individual pieces of the spacecraft to their suits. They have to know how to fix their suits. They have to take medical training in case there's a medical emergency. Um, and, you know, maybe like they, they could take a doctor yeah. up there. That's one path to get to astronaut ship. But uh, if the doctor is the one who's harmed, then other people have to pick up right. the slack. So they go through all this training to make sure everyone has all of the skills, even though they also like hyper specialize. Mm-hmm. They get exposed to a lot of different extreme environments. So they're exposed to both high and low pressure um, atmospheric chambers. They experience high altitude. Um, They learn how to deal with microgravity and free fall. So that plane that goes up and then just drops. Uh, Sometimes it's called the vomit comet. They will do that. It's like a, a 30 second free fall experience every time. They'll do that 40 times in a day. Oh my God. I could, so I could never. Awful. <laughs> yeah. I really so could never. Awful. I think there's a chance I would like I might to do not. it once. I, I, w- I would want to do it once. 
the vomit comet specifically, not to vomit, yeah. but because it feels <laughs> safe and not in the way that I don't want to go to space, I would be willing to go on that. Yeah. But I just I couldn't do it more than once, I think. Yeah, I definitely want to try it. I I'm a bit of an adrenaline mm-hmm. seeker. Like I I love a thrill. Speaking of Lauren Gresh, I'm pretty sure she got to do it when she was working at The Verge. And I'm pretty sure there's a video on YouTube, a, a Verge video. And it oh, seemed awesome. really great. I mean, for her. Yeah. Um, other former guest, Serafina Nance, has had to do this because she was an analog astronaut. Oh, cool. Where um, she did most of the, like, she did a very abbreviated form of this two-year training uh, where she got to do a lot of the the cool things like the the vomit comet and that thing that just shakes you and spins you around oh, that to I disorient could, I did you. I did a version of that at like a like a theme, not a theme park, like a county fair. And I, yeah. it was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> See, I love rides like that. Yeah. Um, I just went to a, a carnival last week and I did the centrifugal force thing. The yes, one that, that you're like I, not I strapped in. I love that one. I did one that like spins you around and, and just like twists you. That was great. I think I do really well in this part of the training. I think you would too. Specifically, just this part. Uh, so they they have to experience all of all of those extreme conditions. They also have to get training in how to do a spacewalk. So that's why they're under the water in their spacesuits. They have to learn Russian. All the people who want to ever work on the ISS have to learn Russian. And do they also need to know English? Just curious. Like, do the Russian not to people be like, also do, do English is the one we should know? I'm just curious if if it's they need to know English and Russian. Oh, I, uh, you're right. Being a U.S. citizen does not automatically mean that you know English, but they, uh, English is a requirement. Yes. Yeah. Oh. I don't, I don't know if the Russian cosmonauts have to learn English. I assume they do. interesting. Yeah, yeah. I would assume. But, yeah. For NASA astronauts, they have to know English and Russian. That is a lot of training. And in only two years, you're going to get all this done? I know. I take, I I never meant easy breezy when I said it. I take it all back. (laughs) (laughs) And I think we've been like skipping around. So I might have missed a couple of things in my notes that they have to learn. Um, They, oh yeah, they do simulations practice. So near the end of their training, when they have learned how all of the shuttle systems and, and space station systems work, they then go into these big simulator tanks that take them through every imaginable worst case scenario for all of the systems that they have just studied. Oh my um, gosh. And and that's like the last several months of their training where they're just doing these simulations until in their sleep, no matter what emergency arises, they could fix it to the best of their ability. Um, and along with that, understandably, comes a lot of stress and uh, some definite psychological um, turmoil, like there, there's a there's a pressure there. So they do psych screenings, um, and they have like trainings with psychologists and and psychiatrists who monitor their their mental health during training. Mm-hmm. Um, for those two years while they're training, they make a salary of between about $142,000 and $183,000, and that difference the difference is based on what like particular skills they have picked up and what their specialty is. But the oh. base salary for all astronaut candidates is about $142,000 a year. Nice. Yeah. And they get and, like government health care in the U.S., I'm sure. Mm, yeah, I'm sure they do. <laughs> it's definitely it's better be than nice. mine. <laughs> <laughs> Someone who pays for her own health care. Like it's got it's to be Oh, way better than both of ours, I'm sure. Um, so they are 
a candidate. There are about 10 candidates per class, and they're a candidate for two years. And if they go through all of their trainings well, and if they impress the, the people at the top, then they can be assigned to a mission and graduate from astronaut candidate to active astronaut. Um, while they're up there, their job is to um, carry out whatever their mission is. Um, that mission can be a research project, it can be a specific maintenance issue on, on the space station or um, another satellite that we've sent up, like Hubble, the Hubble spacecraft, maybe. Um, they maintain the spacecraft so nothing is broken, but it still requires um, routine maintenance and mm -hmm. they ought to measure all of the output readings or, or something. I don't know. But that that's what they're doing. They're spending most of their time doing scientific research and maintaining and operating the space stations themselves. They have to deal with microgravity while they're there. So they're, I'm sure we've all seen the, the fun clips of them like washing their hair or brushing their teeth or going to the bathroom in space and all of the ingenious ways that we've had to set up the International Space Station to make living possible. Um, so they have to deal with microgravity um, and the timelessness that's caused by uh, not having the regular circadian cycle that we have here yeah. on Earth. Um, because the ISS goes around the Earth every 90 minutes, they have sun rise every 90 minutes mm -hmm. so it's like weird to sleep they all get eye masks and earplugs but in order to deal with their um, bones and their muscle strength while they're in microgravity they have to work out for two and a half hours every day Ugh, that's a so lot astronauts are all just g gym bros yeah every single one, really all of the, even the ladies they're all they're gym bros they're all gym bros and they gosh that's just so much yeah they're nerdy gym bros <laughs> That's all an astronaut. I know. I'm like, the ISS isn't like it's as, you know, it's quite big, I guess, end to end, but the actual living spaces are not. And no. yet there's two and a half hours worth of gym equipment for you to be on. Or, you know, you're, it just feels like boring. Yeah. Like difficult and boring. The living space, um, I looked up the dimensions earlier, it's like 12 meters by like three wow. meters. And that's the space where seven astronauts, up to yeah. seven astronauts at a time, will live together. Live and sleep and eat and shower and poop into their weird little yeah. vacuum. Into their weird vacuum, yeah. <laughs> that's what it does. Um, pretty much every minute of their time is accounted for. There's a, um, a mission control department called Ops Planner that plans the astronaut schedules down to like five minute increments. Um, they are on call 24 hours a day, but mm -hmm. they, they work 16 hour shifts. And those shifts include like their, their meal times and their exercise and the things that they have to do to maintain their bodies. Mm -hmm. Like that's in, uh, included in their schedule, but it, like it's, it's a lot of work that they're doing. Yeah, it it's you have to be really dedicated and in love with the job and the research and and the work, and I really admire that. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they are the research. So there yeah. there are um, actual research experiments that we have sent up to the ISS to study like different little bug behavior under microgravity or study how heart tissue changes in that type of environment. Like mm -hmm. there are so many different types of studies across disciplines, but some of those studies are medical being done on the astronauts themselves. So that yeah. they will measure their own, uh, all of their own like health stuff while they're up there. And then we'll compare it to when they get here on, 
on Earth. And that's how we learn things like bone density loss or, um, you know, there was that twin study with the, yeah. the two Kelly twins who were born this, at the same time. But then, like, they were trying to figure out if one was older or not when, when he came back. So mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a lot of research that goes on yeah. up there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that's all I learned today well, ab about astronauts and their training. Any I, Anything you'd add? I think that I don't want to be an astronaut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it's a very, um, I, have a, I have a core memory of sorts of uh, saying to someone I dated, like, kind of offhandedly, of like, oh, maybe I'll be an astronaut. And, and they were like, well, you would have had to have done you would have had to make so many other choices in your life by now and I think I was like 23 at the time so to me I'm like mm. I'm a baby but it was like oh my gosh you're so right in order to be an astronaut there are so many choices you need to make before to mm. get you there like getting like the thousand hours of flight time means that you've decided to be a pilot in this way or you've decided mm -hmm. to go into STEM and and all these other things. Um, but it was a, definitely a crushing moment to learn, oh, I can't be an astronaut anymore. That ship has sailed. But now it's nice to know I wouldn't have liked it anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What could have been I sad is great. I don't think that was too late, Corinne. You could have uh, gotten a couple years of professionally True. relevant experience, um, you, education, it counts. Yeah. So like it def it wasn't too late, but you're right. It sounds kind of miserable. <laughs> it, like, it, it doesn't sound like something I would enjoy. It just sounds like it's for a very specific kind of person. And yes. And that is the person who should do this kind of job. Yes. And we are not that type no, of person. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> we are the type of person who wants to sit in our home and talk about those types yes, of exactly. people and their exactly. accomplishments. <laughs> Yeah. I think it's a it's very noble work, and I'm glad somebody's doing it. Mm -hmm. And I am equally glad that it's not us. <laughs> and I do have some trivia questions about astronauts. So I pulled out from the archives some silly questions we would ask the astronaut candidates in my show Astronaut Training, and mm -hmm. I added a few new ones because I think I, I've borrowed from this before um, in our Mars episode. Okay, yeah. So I switched some of them up. I added a few others. Some of them are real questions, um, and <laughs> some of them are just very Rhetorical? silly. <laughs> I guess that is one way to describe some of them, but I guess I mean some of them are super silly and some of them are real facts. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I won't be keeping score. Word. <laughs> so don't worry. That. Okay. Um, okay, but astronauts need to know things. And here's a little quiz <laughs> to see what we know. <laughs> the sun is mostly made from what element? Helium, hydrogen, or nitrogen? Hydrogen. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, was, okay. <laughs> you, you say okay like you don't know the answer and you're just trusting I know. I'm like, me. I'm like tag teaming with Moya. Like, Moya's the astronaut and I'm... <laughs> I'm the culture fit or like, you know, the hire that they do for, for personality. <laughs> it's like how the Olympics should have a, a regular person doing it, doing side all the sports. Si besides. Yes. NASA astronauts should also have NASA astronauts a should regular have that person. So I can understand what I'm looking at. That would help me out. Okay. Question two. I'm going to lose track. So don't, don't take the numbers too seriously. <laughs> what was the name of the first cat we sent to space? Oh, I know that the dog was Laika. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to say 
well, it was also probably a Russian cat, which means it didn't have a cutesy name like this, but I'm going to go with like Princess Fluffykins, even though I know it's wrong. I love that. Okay, I'm actually looking up how to correctly pronounce this name because it is a French name. Oh, it's French. Nice. Okay, I think that it is pronounced Felicette. Oh. Um, F-E-L-I-C-E-T-T-E, and the first E has an accent on it. That just sounds like naming a cat kitty. Yeah, it looks, the word looks almost like feline, and I'm sure it has the same, like, you know, root yeah. word. A shame she's not as famous as Laika. Or he. Or they. they. True. But, but R.I.P., because we know that that cat was just sent to space to die. Yeah, I know. Isn't that so hard to stomach? It's like, goodbye. <laughs> so sad. Okay, so what, next question, what type of songs do the planets sing Oh, that's the whole question? Okay. <laughs> full, full stop? All right. Um, what types of songs do the planets sing? Oh, this feels like a, like a joke with a punchline. Uh, and I want to say, like, well the, oh, well, the inner planets sing rock music. That's a good answer. Thank you. Thank I, you. I was looking for the answer. Neptunes. <laughs> 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 I think the other planets would have too much pride to sing Neptune. <laughs> I agree with you. It is a very, yeah. like, the loudest like guy at the party is Neptune. The, my yeah. ego would never. Okay, speaking of Neptune, Neptune's <laughs> days are 16 hours long. What would you get rid of in your day? Work. Yeah, same. Absolutely, that's yeah. correct. <laughs> and that right there, Nas is kicking us out. <laughs> out. Uh, yeah, I um, I did a whole Exolore episode about a world that has 16-hour days, and it has real consequences for, like, climate and stuff. Yeah, I'm sure. And that world, we decided, was full of um, bird-like people who, when they're young, instead of working they uh they party a bunch and have have a lot of nice orgies and then after they can't have kids anymore they start working and being like productive contributing members of society which i i want on this world i like that i just want the the work to be never unless it is like um community work of like we all live on like our farms and our things yeah it was like there's the story collector and, yes. and there's the person who like cares for this particular outcropping of rock. It was it's like all, the giver. all based on what you want to do. Yeah. Yeah, but without like dystopian vibes. Mm-hmm. Just like mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. So sixteen hour days, apparently I would be um a bird person having an orgy. <laughs> that sounds so specific and I'm in. <laughs> if I can pass the test to get there. Which it seems like I won't. No tests. No tests. (laughs) A world of no tests. We'll send anyone there. Okay. Would you agree that butterflies are to the sun what moths are to the moon? (gasps) Mm. (laughs) Um, no. No, I would would not agree with that because I I will accede that uh, moths are to the moon, but butterflies are too beautiful for the sun which uh, as we have previously as we've determined is is not for the people the no. the sun is rich and needs to be eaten and i don't want to offend butterflies by um associating them with the sun i like that answer Thank you. i learned recently <laughs> not recently 
that I get very like jumpy around butterflies. Like I, I don't really mm. like bugs at all, but um, there's something about even a beautiful butterfly that I'm like, that's a bug and it's flying towards me. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about moths? Still, I'm worse with moths for sure mm-hmm. because they're mm-hmm. spooky moon bugs. <laughs> but I do love the moon, so. Hmm. <laughs> okay, speaking of bugs, the very first animals um, in space were fruit flies. They were sent okay. up in 1947 and recovered alive. <gasps> what do you think flies. they're up to today? Those same flies? I think they're still <laughs> going around eating brains and spreading the tiny little fruit fly zombie apocalypse. Yes, I completely <laughs> they, agree. They came back alive in the 40s? That's, that's wild. What, that's what the internet told me, which we can always trust. Always. <laughs> okay, what date did we first put a person on the moon? Ooh... In 1969, mm-hmm. June. One more? July. Yeah. 19th. The 20th. 20th. That's great. <laughs> July. I just needed to add one more to both. <laughs> to both. Exactly. <laughs> um, we played a sport on the moon. Not Well, not us. The, in 1971. <laughs> in 1971, Asha Alan Shepard did. So as a sports person, Moya, please tell me, what was the sport we played? <laughs> Am I a sports person, Corinne? No, not at all. Well, I'm a little bit a sports person. I think of you as someone who would play a game, but isn't mm-hmm. like, oh, I got to put the game on. Right, right, right. right. I, would, I would rather play mm-hmm. a sport than watch it. Same. Yeah. Um, I would guess soccer. I like badminton. that, guess. Oh, I, 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 would like, I would love to play badminton on the moon. I wonder what that would feel like. I like that. That would be fun. Yeah. Okay. Well, Alan Shepard swung a makeshift six iron on the moon's surface and missed oh, the ball. Of course it was golf. Yeah. Oh, I'm silly. Of course it was golf. You picked better. Okay. You picked more fun ones. But I guess <laughs> he did pick the sport that was for one man to do. Yeah. Um, his second and he swing. Missed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but his second swing connected. And okay. apparently the ball went flying, quote, miles and miles and miles, as he put it. Mm. Did they ever recover it? I did not look up that part, but I, I doubt I they did. We left a Which lot means... of garbage on the moon. So mm-hmm. I'll bet that golf ball is still there, too. Yeah. And still preserved because there's like no wind. Yeah. And unless something collo- like hit it specifically, right. it's like, oh, it looks like a little moon. Oh, it, oh, that's so cute. A little it's, moon on the moon. It's, 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 it's like mini we brands. Gave it a little mini me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. Okay. Every year, the moon gets four centimeters further away from Earth. Isn't that rude? Like, if you just want to leave, leave. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like, don't shimmy out of the party. Just, like, walk out the door like a fucking adult. Yeah, and you don't have to say goodbye. I'm fine with Irish goodbyes. I think that's totally fine. (laughs) But no, yeah, you're right. The The moon is just, like, trying to sneak away. But we're like... You ain't slick. We see yeah. you. I'm looking right at you. We know what you. we're doing. <laughs> I am looking right at you. Okay. Uh, Final question. True or false? A galaxy is a massive group of stars, star clusters, interstellar gas and dust, and dark matter, which is all gravitationally bound together. True. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I was looking for no ways that that could be a trick question. <laughs> I was, like, going over the list in my head. You know, I think that was also a question on one of my uh, final exams in grad school, so... I pulled it straight from there. Straight from there. <laughs> Yay! Well, I, I think, think we passed. pretty well. We passed. I think we're astronauts now. Yeah, we are. Can we resign? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? 
what is something the pettiest part of me would do is like get all the way through to the tra- like through the training and then just resign. Be like, like I actually don't want to go to space. I just wanted to me. prove I could do it. <laughs> yeah, this was always for me. <laughs> this was for me. Not for the people of the U.S. <laughs> or the world. That would involve a lot of like very careful subterfuge, I think, during the interview processes. Yeah. Because surely they're trying to figure out if people are doing that. Also, but so many people apply knowing that they don't meet the requirements, so they're not going to be selected. And uh, many of them frame their rejection letters. Oh, like they, I like they that. They anticipate it. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess we should get out of the cave. <laughs> I guess so. It's so cozy, but but no, we should we should go check, and then we can release the episode so the astronauts can hear it. Now that we've mm-hmm. we've taken all the secret parts and out, and seeing the sun would help our circadian rhythm. Poor astronauts. <laughs> but no matter what devices you need to aid you in your sleep, uh, like the astronauts do on the ISS, you are still space. Yeah. Bye. Pale Blue Pod was created by Moya McTeer and Corinne Caputo with help from the Multitude Productions team. Our theme music is by Evan Johnston and our cover art is by Shay McMullen. Our audio editing is handled by the incomparable Misha Stanton. Stay in touch with us and the universe by following at Pale Blue Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Or check out our website, palebluepod.com. We're a member of Multitude, an independent podcast collective and production studio. If you like Pale Blue Pod, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions. If you want to support Pale Blue Pod financially, join our community over at patreon.com slash palebluepod. For just about $1 per episode, you get a shout out on one of our shows and access to director's commentary for each episode. The very best way, though, to help Pale Blue Pod grow is to share it with your friends. So send this episode, this link, to one person who you think will like it, and we will appreciate you for forever. Thanks for listening to Pale Blue Pod. You'll hear us again next week. Bye. Bye.